Hi everyone, welcome back to Kids Eat Toast Sometimes. Today I've got a member or the first member of South Africa's Church of Scientology and fashion designer Gareth Peters. Gareth, how are you doing my friend? How's lockdown? How's that Sam? Uh, yeah, surviving. Um, I've been kept busy with, with varsity work as many people have, but yeah, I guess as much as you can do to survive there. Eh? For sure. And I, I, briefly, I briefly mentioned it there. I mean, you're a member of the Scientology Church, but you're also studying at Fadisa. What, what's that been like, you know, um, dealing with the two crossovers? <laughs> you know, there's, yeah, there's, it's difficult to like to keep your Scientology life separate from, from fashion. But I'm like, I've managed to do it up until this point. So, you know. Scientology is fashion, if you will. So, but no, how, how has the creative process um, been in lockdown? Because I've, I've found it quite... In some moments, it's quite exciting and you feel all these surges of inspiration and then other days you walk around in your underwear for its entirety. So where have you found the balance? Have you found the balance? Yeah, and I think, I think that is like the key to it. You know, you don't necessarily need to strive to, to have like a, a regimented like balance or even like a, a schedule, you know. You can, and especially when it comes to creativity, it's like, you look for inspiration so many different things and the, the usual things that you that give you inspiration your, your usual sources are are like no longer there so i d- definitely struggle to some extent i've missed like the environment i've missed the outside um and like as an extroverted person you know i i feed off those like social interactions that's where i get a lot of my inspiration from yeah no i i completely agree with that that's a that's a great answer i think sometimes we take for granted how um, fantastic our own creativity is and um, forget forget that a large, a large amount of the inspiration or the source of it is other people and um, social interactions. But I'm glad we've touched on this already because you're at Fadisa, obviously doing your thing, studying fashion, um, existing in a, the creative economy. What I've always found interesting with fashion designers and this sort of field is what is the process for you? How does that come about? Where do you start? I'm just interested in having a, a brief view into your world. No, no, it's like, it's, and I think it is different for, for every designer. You know, you can't, you can't ever apply the same process to, to, a, single, to a single collection, to, to a form design. It's going to be different for everyone. Um, I like to plug Pinterest. <laughs> First and foremostly, I, you know, I had some sort of like hesitations about Pinterest, but Pinterest is like one of the most powerful like assets for creators, in my opinion. There's, there's nothing better. And like, yeah, I, I just think, so you need to take the, the tools at your disposal, Pinterest obviously being one of them, and find like a process that works for you. And then, you know, find like a hybrid of, of those two. Mm, sorry, I don't know what that notification was. Anyway, for sure. And and then um and then what is the what what's the next step from there? Because I completely understand that you can't have this static regimented approach to everything. But is then do you move across to Illustrator? Are you on Photoshop? What's what's your modus operandi in that regard? Okay, so, okay, so, yeah. so, sorry for interrupting you there. You like a, a little bit more of like the step by step process in. In developing, would you like in developing um, a garment or a concept? Yeah, well, well, like from 
concept to garments? What are your steps? Because I feel everyone wants, has this idea of designing fashion and being in fashion, but no one really actually knows what goes into it, I don't think. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. It's like it's, it's definitely somewhat romanticized. You know, the, the best way to describe it would be like as a whole collection, because then there's a, a couple of garments there where like the motive is like spread across like the across collection. So you can see like ideas repeating. And then so, so basically, if you want, say, like five looks, three looks, whatever, for each look, you would, you would sketch up um, like a, a main idea with like a couple of variations of that idea. So you'd first go to like sketching. Um, and then once you've, you've sketched out your ideas, those three, you'd like pick one that's like that you like you're, you're attracted to the most. And then obviously there's elements from other other ones that you that you enjoy. You can like you can bring those over and like add those into like the, the designs. And then once you've settled on your your final designs, um, after like yeah that that process, then you'd put put it into Illustrator and then trace your. You can like really just take a picture or do anything and then trace those those images into like a digital format. And then from there, from there going forward, you would like render it, which means like you know coloring it, coloring it in basically, adding like light, um, and creating what's called a fashion figure. And so these are like somewhat like stylized to look a lot like it's like a somewhat toxic image of like of what a model should look like because you know body acceptance is like is a is quite a a big thing. It's really in in like runway fashion shows. It's still it's only one one body type, and that's that's really it, you know. Um, but then, yeah, so you create this fashion figure, and then once you've got your fashion figure with the the full look of what the garment would look like on like a person, um, you need to like get technical drawings, and these are like specifics, the specific dimensions, like trimmings, op opens, like buttons, um, cuffs, and these things. This ideally would be given to like. Um, a CMT, which stands for cut, make, trim. And these are the people that would produce your garment on a mass scale. Mm. But it's basically, it's basically like the blueprint of your garment. And this would, so like anyone, you could give this to any other fashion person and they would be able to understand what you're making and the dimensions of this garment. And then <laughs> once, you've, once you have your technical drawing, you need to draft what's called a pattern. And a pattern is basically the puzzle pieces stencils of like of constructing a garment so this would this and this this is where you use your technical drawing and you relay back to your technical drawing and to make sure that you that you're transferring this 2d image into like a 3d structure you know sure and so that 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 takes quite can be can prove quite difficult because it's you know it's like perceiving space and then once you've drafted your pattern, that's when you can start cutting your material and construct your garment. Sure, quite the process, quite the process indeed. Yeah, and that, and that, and that is for, for one piece of like clothing. So that's for a pair of pants. And then obviously you'd need to repeat that three times for like the shirt and the jacket that like goes with a pair of pants if you're making a three piece like suit or something, you know. Sure. No, I mean, that, that was brilliantly broken down because, like you said earlier, I think the process is um, overly romanticized in, in the creative arts, especially. And there is a, a tremendous amount of work that goes into producing a T-shirt, a pair of pants 
or even a whole collection, which is what you'll you'll be doing at Fadisa. Um, and it, it's also interesting to me because it's almost like an intersection of architecture in terms of the technical drawings and engineering in that regard and a very um, humanities-based approach to constructing an idea, a theme, exploring the subdivisions of that theme. So that's... Um, yeah, that, that, that's very, very interesting. So thanks for that, uh, G. And then where would you say you go, or not go from there, but how much of your identity goes into this process? Because identity is massive. Identity politics is a massive talking point at the moment. How much of you goes into the design and the process and all of that? And can you kind of distinguish between the Gareth we see on the street or the Gareth that I'm a friend of and Gareth the designer? Is there a distinction or is it more of a... More of an intersection, like most most things in this world. Yeah, I think it's it's really difficult to like to separate the the art from the artist. You know, although people preach preach about doing that, it's I can honest I can be like quite uncom uncompromising in my designs. Um, in in the belief that you know, because I I feel like fashion is is that type of process where it, it's a platform and it's very like self-expressive you know it's, it's the f one of the first like impressions you can give as a person and so I, I always believe that you had to like 100% express yourself through your the way you dress and the, the clothes you make but like being in like a, a more of a structured environment of I've, I've definitely learned that a brief following a brief is very very important and that's really what you're going to be faced with in like the within the industry is like is clients that want specific things and certain things. And so you're gonna at certain times you're gonna have to compromise what you believe and what you and what your ideals in making clothes and fashion are is for for a client or someone else. And I think that being like uncompromising in what you make is important, but being able to to meet like yeah to compromise at some point to be compromising is also mm. like an important skill to have. well i mean that, that that's an issue i think any any person who creates uh, a market good or uh, something that's going to be sold or a commodity is going to face it it's that distinction or a line that's going to be drawn between what you're doing and what's required by like you said a brief or a company but i do think there is a, a great need for that um that balance like you briefly spoke about because it's an age-old issue of that yin and yang order and chaos and you need order but you absolutely need the chaos as well so it's it's very exciting and I've, I've loved um being a part of your small little process and viewing it um from time to time so that's been great um a big question I did have for you as well was where do you see the future of fashion because um, you read an article like Zara's closing down 1,200 stores. How does that make you feel as a young designer, someone who's essentially about to start paving their way in this industry? I think it's very easy. And like the, the negative points are like are written on the wall. You know, it's, it's difficult to like to avoid those on a day-to-day -day basis. But like I definitely see, um, see the opportunity as a, as a young person coming out of university at this point uh, going to like a slightly different world so you can you're you're in somewhat like a trailblazer blazer as you're able to move against the the toxic practices like of the fashion industry 
at the moment and, and move towards issues that are like more dear to heart, such as sustainability and like, yeah, consumption of fashion. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's, uh, it's, a, big, it's a big point. And I, I absolutely love how you frame this in like a, a silver linings playbook um, because on the one hand, yes, Zara closing down all those stores is like, oh my God, no one's going to buy clothes ever again. Um, but the reality is, uh, as an independent or as someone who'd operate in a smaller capacity, there, like you said, are such fantastic opportunities to influence the fashion world and the, the fashion market, the younger market that's moving through that is concerned with sustainability, um, staying away from fast fashion, all those sort of um, common tropes that exist today. Which also leads me to my next question. Do you think this sustainable fashion trend if I'll call it that, is here to stay or, or or is it something a bit, you know, like a black square and that trends on Instagram for a day and then everyone goes back to their practices? Because my, my big issue with something, and we'll use Zara as the example, Zara came out and there were like all these child labor practice accusations and um, people were stitching messages into Zara clothing and everyone was like, ah, oh, that's terrible. I'll never buy. And then, like, they had a sale. You're like, oh, those jeans. <laughs> and and then, yeah, so w- where do you think we're heading? I'd love to hear your take. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think that a lot of the toxic practices that have developed in in the fashion industry, as, as well as others, you know, the, the uh, pr- products of capitalism that have that have really, like, created like negative yeah negative processes within the industry have like you can this is an opportunity to to move in a different direction from from the what has like plagued us up until this point and so like i really believe that like sustainability in fashion although it is it is like somewhat trendy it does come from like a genuine place, you know, a, a genuine sentiment that like a lot of the a lot of the young people like fully believe, or f- not and, and not necessarily believe, but they they live it and like and get behind it. It's something that's that's a genuine cause to them, and so I really think sustainability and not so not necessarily like changing all the practices in which we in which we participate in fashion but really just ensuring that it's sustainability in the truest nature and that we can continue like the practices that we have going forward like un unhindered yeah i i love how you've uh, redefined it as a silver linings and all that sort of stuff and i, I do think there is a rise in ethical consumption but how does that in real terms affect your practice and yeah, it's it's. I really think it just it begins with like each one of us individually and looking at how we we approach the world because like like I mentioned before the 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 practice of of capitalism has like has reared so many ugly heads. One of, and one of them being like convenience and if convenience has play is currently plagues like the fashion industry from top to bottom. And so, like, so that's why consumption has to be through, like, you know, secondhand stores and your parents and and sourcing clothes 
in a manner that doesn't support like the the companies that that are promoting fast fashion and you know and sure. putting I think I probably phrased my um uh question correctly there. I, I was more and I agree with what you've said, but I was um, more concerned with ethical production rather as you as a young creative and designer. How does that, what does that mean to you or how does that come about in your design process? And yeah, and I think a lot of the, the points that I made previously does like fit in as well. It has to be um, um, uh, a concerted effort you have to you have to really be as, as corny as it sounds you have to be the change that you want to see mm-hmm. and so creating creating brands that that are, are based upon upcycling is 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 a massive trend but for like a completely valid reason you know like create like recreating like garments out of like out of i or like a fabric that's like unmistakably another thing and giving it a new life and a story is is a very valuable topic and you know it could be something that one would be interested in getting into sure no i like that so it's i think for me if i were to approach the the topic i mean there was the failed your homey homes venture uh due to pending lawsuit but um i think that the approach has to be if you're going to um make fashion is that it has to be done ethically um, in terms of the base wage that you're paying CMTs or other employees has to, you know, reach a, a certain level of respect and actual income. And then as well as sourcing fabrics, like you've mentioned, either if you're recycling garments or if you're doing so in an environmentally sustainable fashion. I've just thrown that out. So I don't really know how that would go about, but um, that's that's how the majority of conversations work. You just say things that you don't really know. But um but I think it's a it's a very interesting uh, point and uh, point of departure that I think young people will get behind, and it, it also it makes me think of something completely uh, left of field, and that's ethical consumption when it comes to pornography. Because and I know it's like wow, what is this guy going on about? But I read an article uh, recently that started. Um, calling for readers and viewers, I suppose, to stop consuming online content at uh, Pornhub because it's misogynistic, it's got um, racist and racialized tendencies. And I thought, wow, that was, that was very, um, a very interesting point and something I'd never considered before because I, I've done some research on Pornhub, um, uh, recreational and otherwise, so it, it, it kind of stopped me in my tracks. What, what's your sort of reaction when you, when you hear about an article like that? Yeah, it sounds like a little bit of a little bit of a witch hunt. I think you know the when it comes to ethical consumption, there's there's definitely like um, aspects that are that are just as damaging. But yeah, it's I guess towards gender-based violence, you know, you could it could contribute significantly and be like quite damaging, I suppose. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I think there might be an aspect of winch, uh, a witch hunt, but it, it's also, it's that whole philosophy of like um, sorting, making sure your house is in order before you, you go out into the world. So if, you know, we live in a free world, free markets, all that sort of stuff, um, 
a product could be produced, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be consumed. And I think when you start moving into censoring um, certain products or viewership and what Pornhub is creating, of course, if it's racist and overtly racist and misogynistic or racist and misogynistic in any, in any way, it should be um, reviewed. But it, it starts to become that very dangerous, like, who is the editor of the world now? And I think the response is rather to educate yourself, your friend group, so that when you are faced with a situation like um, ethically consuming pornography, you, you, you watch it or you don't watch the video and you go, wow, that was wrong. I can't ever endorse this product again or I can't. And then so you, you fix yourself and then you fix the world. I think that's a much better approach to most societal issues opposed to just, you know, people speak about the abstract economy and like abstract society and like, oh, society's broken. And like, no, society's broken because it's composed of all these broken people. And obviously arguments of cause and effect come into being. But, yeah, that's me going on a, on a, off on a bit of a tangent. <laughs> it is about like responsible consumption you know consumption where you 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 have access to this and you can enjoy it if you know if if you want to but you need to like everything in this world and especially in the age of the internet you have to be extremely extremely critical of everything you see you know and so you you can you can consume this whatever you choose to consume but you have to be asking questions along with it you know it's like why why was this produced why why am this <laughs> yeah absolutely but oh it's 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 so interesting um and maybe maybe i have like watched one ben shapiro video too many or i don't know i just i don't agree with the majority of what he says but i i like the way he pre uh, presents a, a counter argument in terms of there is a very um liberal left sort of uh, narrative that is being pushed in society and it almost feels like if you're not on board with that, oh, you know, it's important to have contesting views and ideologies. But let's move off. This is a bit heavy. I'm going to move away from it very quickly and more, more speak about your, your journey into fashion because that in itself is very interesting because you were at UCT doing a BSc in Scientology and Astrophysics or whatever nonsense you were doing there. And then you've obviously transitioned to Fadisa. But... The story in itself is interesting, and I'd lo I'd love to hear it again. No, uh, it was. I definitely think like like many many people in university, you know, it's it's definitely like a a, a coming of age period, you know, because you have no idea like what you want to do or what your interests are coming out of school. And funnily enough, I I decided to do BSc like by actually working backwards through the things that I didn't want to study. So I knew I didn't want to study this, and I knew I didn't want to study this, and I think I was left with um, science and, and engineering, and I wasn't, I, didn't, I wasn't like keen to go to, yeah, to study like civil engineering, and so BSc was, was my choice and then it was further the situation was further exacerbated by the fact that like I still didn't know what I wanted to do so I just took a very very general BSc and ended up doing like all the all the base courses that were like heavily heavy 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 subjects and just yeah worsened my time at UCT and so like I, and I guess it happens for a reason because you know it, it took me to a place where 
I knew that like I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew for sure this is, it wasn't it wasn't what I was doing. You know, and only like when you've been like yeah, you know, dejected and like broken down to that point, you can really like reassess what you what you want and like what you what you enjoy. Sure. And so yeah, through, through all of that fashion and clothing, like the the development um and relationship with with clothing grew and i soon realized that you know it was i wouldn't say as much as being a crutch but it was definitely something that i i relied heavily on and was something that like i enjoyed and you know it was it was the one thing that was like constant so you know like being quite like i wouldn't say eclectic but you, you go through like phases of like obsessing over certain things over like if it's cooking or like gardening or whatever but like through all of it, fashion was was like fairly, fairly consistent. No, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's an internal process that you go through, and I think, like you mentioned, you you worked backwards in terms of things that you didn't want to do. And I think so many people, I've done it, and a lot of young people around us do it. Instead of like blatantly just going out and pursuing, and rather like working forward to stuff you want to do. And I find it very interesting that you're playing around with a BSc. I don't think I've ever met a maniac who's playing around with a BSc and like science and astrophysics and the like. I mean, you play around with a BA that you just keep it there, you know. But um, so, so how did that? How did the transition work? Did you did you abruptly stop the degree? Did you just switch over straight to Fadisa? Because I know your parents at times can be a bit conservative. So how did you how did you find that balance? Um, and yeah, that that was part of the reason, like that I went into a BSc is because coming from like an an Indian family, it's like somewhat expected of you, and so you can imagine like the the reactions I got from my parents when I told them that like I, I want to to switch over to to something as like left field as fashion. Um, the so like I initially I started off by doing some research like into the, the various fashion schools around around Cape Town, Johannesburg. And then, yeah, I let my parents know um, that like I was considering this and I hadn't like made a decision. And this was still, still in the beginning of the, of the academic year. And so I, they, they made me finish that academic year like to completion. And then, so I wasn't, I wasn't finished with the, uh, the whole degree and then I switched over like in, the, in my second year of my of my science degree and so yeah it, it definitely made me more grateful for for like what I had like going from going from something that like you know you you loathe you loathe being in that environment and that situation every day to something that you actually feel passionate about is is like such a liberating feeling like and and that's like really kept me like grateful grateful for like studying fashion like this this whole time like i just all i got to do is think back to like how much i dreaded going in every day yeah you know we're not studying fashion i mean studying studying science wow that that no that is fantastic and you brought up a, a really good point in terms of um, like coming from a more like Indian conservative family, of course, white families can be conservative too, but they're definitely like, you know, the hangover apartheid and the way wealth has been distributed in the country. Um, it's not as big a concern 
obviously a generalization for white people. So when I was doing a commerce type degree and realized, you know, um, I can't do maths. I've, I, I don't know what's going on. I just dipped straight away. I think it was coincidentally on the eve of a test. I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to pursue my BA and be free spirited. So that and I think it's sometimes crudely refer, referred to as like black tax in academia in terms of um, the pressure that one's under from a home situation. But I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for the fashion world and for you especially that a, a compromise was, um, was met and that you were able to learn a lot of lessons along the way. I think it's a, a big lesson for everyone. And in, in moving away from fashion for a bit and back to school, because, and everyone's like, oh, back to school, you're always talking about school. Well, we're only 23. It, it um, took up almost half of our... Uh, lived experience so I think it, it is um, it is a natural point of reflection and obviously being where you are now I love that Frank Ocean letter that he wrote to himself you know five-year future self and if if you had one for a young like 15 year old Gareth what what would that kind of be I'd be very interested I think you know being at and uh, you know I'm gonna attempt not to like to drag any institutions we were at yeah. Saks. We went to Saks, man. Everyone knows. <laughs> it's good. It's bad. It's like any school. But like, you know, I, I wouldn't want to, I try to get, give an objective perspective without like, like giving, ex expressing your perspective without like actually going after like anyone in particular, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like that there's too much of that in like, in the conversations that are happening like recently. But yeah, I think, as as a person of color in that in that situation, uh, and especially like having come from a small a small like private school previously, um, like my main goal was assimilation. You know, I did whatever like I had to do to to fit in in that environment, and like yeah, I I think that has cre created so much of like a lasting like doubt in my mind or just like it has created like lasting effects in the sense that like I would have preferred to have like a little bit more like pride in me and myself you know mm. and so so what are you saying to your younger self what would you say to your younger self then is there a particular that, like the assimilation isn't 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 necessary you know it'll it'll work out you'll find like people that like accept we can like they can accept you without that sort of assimilation you know and forcing yourself to like to compromise on certain things mm. i think you know it's you you can't talk about these institutions without talking about like without the those kind of issues i, I saw something quite interesting recently that like you know like for for a person of color to like bring traditional food into those like environments for like you know for lunch it's like it's unheard of you know you have to you have to like even though you eat these things like on the regular at home you know for like lunch supper like for like traditional meals whatever but to like bring like indian food like to to like something that's like foreign and unknown to school is just like yeah it's, yeah uh, it's not something that's done very often or conversely when it is brought it's made like such a a big deal about you know I, I found that 
um, you know, it was only really accepted um, in terms of like uh, uh, a Muslim, a Muslim, uh, how do I phrase this correctly? Um, Jesus, Samuel, I'm going to have to edit this part. Otherwise, he's a racist. <laughs> no, in, in terms of like a certain, uh, like a Muslim cuisine, you know, um, it was like, oh, you know, it's, this, this was a big day now. And that, that's weird. It's like, this is, this is a normal delicacy. And uh, when I when I was reading all these, um, and I love what you've said about assimilation, and I think it's a it's a, like again for a white person, it's not something I think about for a second. Only the only time I can ever recall having or, or thinking that I need to assimilate is at UCT studying a BA, and you go into a tutor group, and you're the only white person there, and you go. Oh, I wonder what I should say, and oh, am I talking too much, and uh, what do I look like, do I look like a fool? And I think for the first time I was like, oh my God, this is what a person of color experiences every time they're in a white space. And, and white spaces, especially in the nicer parts of Cape Town, are, are prevalent and massive. So uh, hopefully with this conversation and uh, this discourse around it, change can come about, and I'm hoping it will. But it also reminded me of a situation at school when all these stories were coming around that um, you went through, and I suppose as a result I was part of it. But that was, at the time you were dating this girl, I think, I mean, her name was Beep, you know. <laughs> um, and, and you had dated her for six months or something, and I remember the one day you were like, um, Sam, you know, I'm dating this, this, this black girl. And I was like, oh, that's great. When did you guys start dating? You're like oh, we, we, we've been dating for like six months. And I was like, what the hell? You know, I was like, Gareth, how can you be ashamed of this? This is your girlfriend. And without even thinking that this was the, the, the white structure and, you know, people putting that pressure. It wasn't you weren't ashamed that you were dating um, this wonderful girl. You were ashamed of how people would react. So how, how do you feel looking back on that situation now? I think, yeah, like looking back, there's... And once you're like able to unpack it and like understand like what the what the underlying factors were, I think it was, it was definitely twofold in the sense that she was like a family friend, girlfriend that like lived in in Dern. So it was kind of like the situation is like I got a girlfriend and it's like who is she? She's like no, she goes to another school. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit of that, that yeah, situation yeah. as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I I only like. I went recently, recently being since we left school, realized that like, that I had essentially like internalized all the systemic racism and the snide comments and the, the issues that, that really plague these, these type of school under the guise of like locker room banter. Mm. I had just internalized all of these, all of these issues to the point like I was, I was ashamed to like to to mention it as being a person of color like and it's just it's so bizarre to like even to even say these words out loud you know yeah. to actually like articulate this and like and that that you know that this like through like in my head in my head like this this kind of thinking was conditioned over and over and over mm, and sure. yeah i think it it speaks volumes it really does mm. it's it's a discourse that's um um, come to the forefront and I think it's very good that it has well obviously it's good that it has but that it's almost uh, encapsulated the plight of um, 
black woman in, in these schooling systems because, like you said there, you've almost internalized racism. And oh, I'm not calling you out for it. Jeez, I was more part of that system than one could ever believe. But it, it's... And then these, these, these poor voices become completely marginalized, not only by the white spaces, but by now um, male uh, people of color. So it's just... It's, it's too terrible. So... Hopefully, intersectional change um, comes from this, and I think that is the buzzword. But, but before we wrap up and um, go back to our corona lives, um, I wanted to just, because I also feel, and I'm not defending these schools um, whatsoever, I mean, I, I, still, I still work and coach at SACS, and I love SACS, and I hope that I'm actively being part of the change that people want to see in these schools and, peop and people need at these schools. But it, it was... There were good times as well, of course. And one of um, my favorite moments with you. And so, sorry, yeah. I just, I just, I just wanted to say, and like uh, something I wanted to, inter to include earlier on is that, like, coming from uh, a small school in like Tableview, you know, I, I like, I came to this this massive like institution that was sex, and like, although I experienced these things, I like, yeah, I. I experienced like systemic racism on like multiple fronts. I'm still like crazy grateful for like the, the facilities and the environment that I was that I was at. You know, like having like every school has has problems, and you know, it's and a lot of them are going to be like like you know the legacy of apartheid. So it's you, you can't run away from these issues. It, it like plagues us all. It's but like I I was really like like amazed and still like in awe of of what of what sex is like compared to like you know where i came from it's it's really a, that perspective you know sure I, I agree with you saying it's i mean institutions are made up of people and it reflects what society is like uh, and the uh, you know people institutions are multifaceted i think it's that that's one of the biggest problems with cancel culture and i'm not saying that the views and everything shared are on racism in schools is wrong no these stories have to be um, aired and discussed and change has to come from them but um, yeah like I said institutions are multifaceted there will be horrendous incidents and there will be fantastic incidents I mean uh, our friendship was born at Saks all of that sort of stuff and my favorite aspect while whilst trying to move off to something a bit lighter was I don't know if you recall it was probably about grade nine or grade ten and vaping had just become like new in South Africa, biggish in South Africa, not, not what it is like now where people are walking around with external hard drives and um, blowing out. There's still a need, you know. There we go, exactly. And we thought we were like really rebellious and cool. And it's one of my favorite memories of school um, is when we went down to like the Cavendish Square area and it was actually, you went into the... Uniform, mind you. In school uniform, that we were wild, but no, you were wilder than I was um, because you went to buy the vape whilst I hid in the toilets in McDonald's. <laughs> and then I came out and I, I, I was just thinking about it the other day because you're reading all these articles about is smoking good or bad and Lamini Zuma is doing her thing uh, in regards to the coronavirus. And I was just thinking, oh, you know, did I take years off my life with those 30 minutes of vaping I did in uh, grade 10? And it was just one of my favorite stories of the end. I, I think you had forgotten it, so I just wanted to bring it no, up again. The, my, yeah, my, 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 like my most vivid memory of the whole situation 
is your reaction to all of this you know you you're running with the <laughs> with a with a reckless you know like hiding in the bathroom <laughs> honestly we 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 inflamed we expanded like our our egos were a little bit big for like you know false out at that point to think that you know people even cared about what we were doing yeah, but then <laughs> i could i could just see your your the mental like conflict you were you were going through in your head you know it's like do i want to do this let's mm. go for let's go through it for the for the thrill and then you once you get it you're like oh i actually don't like this thing and then <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure you sold it to like to to a friend of ours within like a couple of days yeah, I wasn't, I mean, it was also the pressure of vaping in your room because everyone's like, oh, yeah, it smells like deodorant. But, like, your mom would come in and she's like, you know, you're a prepubescent boy. You're like, ah, <laughs> she's, uh, it was too terrible. And, yeah, oh, the vape mob, vape niche, what a crazy time. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't look at anyone now without a scathing judgment. It's, it's, it's who I am. I'm flawed, I'm flawed. But... You were once one of them, man. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, people were once Nazis, so, ooh, no, I mean, no, no, let's not get into that, let's, let's move away, let's move away quickly, um, this is what happens when we have interludes, when the alarm goes off, my mind wanders, um, but before we sign off, what, what's up, what's next up for you, where are you going, I mean, I like how you do, ha- you are imbued with this uh, sort of positive outlook on life, I love it, I love people with it, so what are the next couple of months, years looking like for you in the, in the fashion game? So I'm gradu- graduating this year and it's been, I went directly from UCT into, into fashion. So I think it's been like four, five years of like studying up until now. So I think I just, a little break is on the books. Um, I'd definitely like to get involved in some sort of apprenticeships because obviously like uh, what I've learned um, in terms of like physically like making things is, is a really just scratch the surface. And so I'd like to like develop that a bit more be a bit more proficient with my hands and maybe get into my own like small kind of business of having started to look into, we even started to look into um, a sustainable form of fashion. That's uncouth, uncouth drop in this fall. <laughs> I also don't like how you say maybe you're getting into a business. I thought we were doing this. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, this is, I thought I was meant to be like subtle about it. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to be mysterious. This is the first time uncouth has been mentioned and it's a maybe. Oh, God, I don't even think I want to be involved anymore. <laughs> no, I got to keep the energy, man. Keep the energy. Okay, so that, so a bit of, a bit of reflection, a bit of work, a bit of challenge. So that, that's all good. Um, I'm very excited for where we do go and watching you grow. Um, but I think that's all we can do for today. So um, thanks for coming on, G. It's always um, such a pleasure to chat to you. So, and like I said, it's like we've, it's now part of our personal historical archive, irrespective of whether our moms are the only ones who watch or listen to this. So yeah, thanks very much for um, coming on. I really, I really appreciate your time and your, your wonderful insights. No, no, no. It's always good to chat to you. Uh, thanks for having me for my, my debut on Kizzy Toaster. Oh, yeah. And what, before we I actually sign off, I've told some people this, but Kids Eat Toast sometimes is um, Gareth's doing. He is the, the genius behind the name. So there we go. Thanks, G. Ah, that's it. If you've made it to the end of the, the podcast, congratulations. I thank you so much. Um, I don't think I've ever finished a Joe Rogan podcast in my life. 
So who am I to have a, a completed podcast either? So um, thanks for listening. We'll, we'll have tons of other videos and guests coming up very shortly. So thanks for your support, your comments, all that sort of stuff. Till next time, goodbye. Oh, wait, signature sign-off. I'm trying to make that my new thing. Thanks, bye. <laughs>